Go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And, you know, i got to tell you, I, um, I love... I love baptisms. It's one of my very favorite things that we get to do as a church family because it's a, a day like today is an outward declaration of an internal truth. And that is what, what God has been doing is that he's, been, he's taken three women whose lives were defined by the brokenness of this world and he's redeemed it and he makes sin, uh, sinners into saints. And that's beautiful in and of itself that he makes um, you know, new creations out of us, but the true audacity of the cross is that they did absolutely nothing to earn that. It's not like they had to show up to church four weeks in a row or, um, you know, begin tithing. They didn't even have to memorize a single scripture before they could have the right to become daughters of God. It was simply through faith that they're saved because Jesus did everything that needed to be done. While we, this is the reminder of the gospel, that while we were still in open rebellion to our God, saying, you know what, I got this, I can go my own way, I can be the captain of my ship, I know a whole lot better than you did, I don't care that you created me, I know better than you how to pilot my life. God sent Jesus to die for us, and there's nothing we can do to earn that. And I love that about the gospel. And it's one that we just need to keep reminding ourselves because there's so much in this world that suggests that our standing with God and our standing with other people is dependent on how worthy we are and how well we do. But here's a question that, that tends to spring up after baptism and after we say yes to Jesus Christ. And that is, well, now what? Yes, I know that because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of my faith in him, that gets me into proximity to God, that I can begin journeying with him. But how do I stay there? What do I need to do? Is faith enough or is something else required? And you know, this isn't a, conversa- or a question that we only wrestle with. This is actually something that believers have been wrestling with from the very beginning and something that Paul had to address because there were some Jewish Christians who had infiltrated the the church in the region of Galatia, as we've been looking at, who began to say, hey, yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. We believe that he died for our sins. But if you really want to stay in proximity to God, if you really want to be righteous and holy as he's called us to be, then you've got to do something more. It's now the onus to stay in, in proximity to God is really upon you. And that, to that, Paul goes, wait a minute, absolutely, categorically, no. So if you've got your Bible, hopefully you're in Galatians chapter 3, let's go ahead and read how he responds. And I just have to remind you at the outset here that Paul is not pulling punches. This is not a warm, fuzzy letter. He is writing to his, what he considers to be his spiritual children, churches that he planted. And, and the best analogy I can give you is it's like these are his children that he raised. And he said, hey, guys, stay away from drugs. You've been through dare. You've been through all these things. Stay away from drugs. And now all of a sudden he sees that some neighbor kids are like, hey, this is pretty fun. The kids are like, oh, and he catches them messing around with it. And Paul comes down on them like a father does, just going, I have taught you better. It's with that tone of voice that he says, you foolish Galatians, I mean Galatians 3 if you're, if you're looking for it, you foolish Galatians, which is always a wonderful way to, to open a new thought, right? Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I'd like to learn just one thing from you, you who know so much, right? Did you receive God's spirit by the works of the law, by, by doing stuff? Or did you believe it? Or I'm sorry, or did you receive it by believing? I've totally lost my spot. All right, there you are. Or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to complete it by, by works of the flesh? In other words, you began through faith in God and the Spirit's enablement, and now are you trying to, to finish out your faith by lots of works and by obedience to the law? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So I ask you again, does God give you his spirit? And does, does he work miracles amongst you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham, your forefather, believed God and it was credited him to him as righteousness. Let me just stop here for a second because Paul is going to go into a very long and somewhat confusing dialogue with, with a bunch of believers about where their identity comes from. Because remember, these Jewish Christians had been suggesting that if you want to take hold of Jesus, you need to become Jewish. In order to do that, you've got to get circumcised and you need to submit yourself to the law that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai. In other words, you need to become a Jew. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, let me, let me get this straight. You became a Christ follower through faith in Jesus, faith that what he did on the cross was sufficient, and now you think that in order to truly take hold of this, you now have to, to submit to the law and do all of the things that the law suggests? But, but think about Abraham for a second. Abraham, the forefather of the Jews, the very first one that God called, and he didn't call him because there was something remarkably different about Abraham. He simply said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave all of the other pagan gods that you have been following, that you have been raised to believe in, and I want you to follow me and trust me. And I will lead you to a land that I will give you. I will make you into a great nation. Now keep in mind, when God said this particular thing to him, Abraham was already pretty old. He was about 75. His wife was about 70. Later on, he, they would actually not have a child, the promised child, for another 20-some years. So we're talking Abraham and his wife were very old, and yet God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. you. Your descendants will be greater than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And through you and your descendants, I will bless all nations. He was referring there to what he would do through Jesus Christ, although Abraham could not possibly understand it at the time. And here's what he did. <clears throat> although it seemed audacious, although it seemed far-fetched, Abraham believed him. And so he chose to follow God into a place he didn't know where but he chose to follow god he chose to believe god that he would provide a child for him even though he was already up in years and what paul points out here is abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness you jews who believe in jesus you desire that same righteousness, and yet you point to the law and you say, this is the way that we earn our righteousness. 
But the law wasn't given for 430, until 430 years after Abraham was declared righteous. And Abraham was never declared righteous by being circumcised. He was never declared righteous by obeying the law. It wasn't even given for over four centuries. So if you truly want to be children of Abraham, it's not about obeying the law. It's about believing in God. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, not by works. And he announced this gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, this is a good news. This good news, this gospel is for everybody, irrespective of whether you were born into the Jewish you know, faith or if you were raised as a Gentile. It doesn't matter because Jesus came to die for everyone and he is the Messiah for everyone, not just for the Jews. And anyone can be a, a, a son or a daughter of Abraham. It's not by blood, it's by faith. For all who rely, and now, now he's going to switch gears. He's, he's been focused on Abraham and his faith, and now he's going to switch gears and talk about the law and its inability to save them. He says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if you look to the law to be the way you're going to be saved, then you better do every single bit of it. You better never break the speed limit. You better never miss even a penny on on your taxes. Don't fudge those numbers one bit. And so on and so forth. You better never lie. You better never even hold back the truth at all. All of those kind of things. Because otherwise you're cursed. Because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law isn't based on faith. On the contrary, it says that the person who does these things will live by them. It is completely and utterly based upon our own efforts. And it's unable, our our own efforts are unable to make us righteous. However, there's some good news in this. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus took the curse of our sins and our inability to, to fulfill the law upon himself. When he hung on the cross, our sins were nailed upon that cross with him. It was our sins that were paid for. So we could be called sons and daughters of God because he died in our place. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There's a lot there, and I know that it's pretty thick. And given the time that we have today, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this. I just want to remind us that what Paul is doing is he's saying, great, these Jewish Christians, I know that they believe that we need to somehow earn. Maybe, maybe it's more like this. I want to give the Jewish Christians the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to just simply say because they're not represented here that they were all bad. They had a good heart in this. 
Consider this for a moment. These are people who had been raised in Judaism and believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. They had chosen to accept him as their Savior. And they rightfully understood that what God was calling the people of God to do was to represent him, to be his representatives to the rest of the world, which is what he had hoped that Adam and Eve would do, is what he had hoped that the people of Israel would do. It is what he had Jesus do, and it's what he called the people of God to do, to be his representatives. But how do we do that? How do we represent God? They went back to the only thing that they knew, which is the law. I'll use here um, something that my, my son brought home from preschool this week. He goes to Little Lighthouse. And in preschool, they put together their own little Ten Commandments tablet. This is, this is Grayson's handiwork. I'm very proud of it. This is a representation of the law. And the Ten Commandments are all about preserving our relationship with God, the first four commandments, and our relationships with one another, the latter six. We can sum it all up, though, in two of those, or in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. If you do that, you will represent the heart of God. This is what the Jews wanted to do. And so they looked to the law and they said, this is how we will be his representatives. This is how we will maintain our righteous relationship with him. We'll stay in right standing, which is all that righteousness means. We need to obey this. But geez, like, uh, we, we recognize that it's really easy to mess this up. It's really easy when you play fast and loose with the boundaries to kind of fall in. And so like parents who have a pool in the backyard and know that they've got young children in the house and they don't want them to fall in, they said, we need to put fences around the rules so that people won't mess up. We're going to add rules upon the rules. We're going to explain. It's not just about keeping the Sabbath. We want to let you know what it means to work on the Sabbath. We want to let you know how far you're allowed to walk, rules upon rules upon rules. And they codified this into a little bit more than what it originally began with. I, I brought out my, my big Bible today. This is actually a Webster's Dictionary. I think this is awesome. But basically, they turned this, and they added to it, to this. And then they said, that's how you honor God. That's how you declare your righteousness. This is a blueprint for how to become in right standing with God. So yes, faith in Jesus is a great first step. This is all the rest of the steps. So get memorizing. Okay, and Paul simply goes, I'm sorry, you guys, great heart, a little bit flawed approach. Because I've got to remind you that the law was never intended to be a blueprint for how to have a right standing with God. That was never its purpose. In fact, the law was given to do just the opposite. The law was given to show our complete inability to earn our righteousness by our own efforts. I, I've used this analogy before, but it's the best one I've got, so deal with it. <clears throat> the law is tantamount to the x-ray machine at my dentist's office. I go to the dentist's office and I sit down. First thing I do when I get in there is they have me sit down in the x-ray machine. They take pictures of my teeth. It reveals all of the decay that you can't see from the outside. It shows me where all of the cavities are. It shows me where all of the weak parts are that need attention. And it reminds me how desperately I need to go sit down in a dentist's chair and let him drill and fill. 
Now, the x-ray machine reveals that decay, but it does absolutely nothing to address it. In no way does that machine have the ability to heal the decay in my mouth. Only the dentist does. And in the same way, the law was never intended to make people righteous or to help them attain their righteousness. The law was put in place to expose their inability to be righteous so that it would help us to recognize how desperately we need a Savior. Does that make sense? All right, so Paul's going to continue. We're going to skip down just a little bit for time's sake because, holy moly, I'm running out of time here. Let's go ahead and jump to verse 21. Because Paul actually addresses the question, what's the purpose of the law? Why did he give it? And is it in fact in conflict then with faith? Did God just mess up in giving the law? Paul will explain that now in verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. No. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not those who perfectly obey this, because nobody can do that. Before the coming of this faith, before Jesus died for our sins, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until this faith that was to come could be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith, not by obedience to the law. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now that word guardian there is an interesting one. Um, I have to remember what, it's, what the exact Greek word is here. Oh yeah, you guys have it in your notes, right? What is it? Pedagogos, okay? The word in Greek is pedagogos, which it is from which we get the word pedagogue, a, a, an instructor or a tutor. I want you to think of perhaps a child on an estate. Back in the day before they had structured school where you would go to a schoolhouse, a wealthy family would hire a pedagogos to come and teach and train up their child. Now this child one day would inherit the entire estate. It would all be theirs. But until that time, this pedagogos basically is like an army sergeant to them, whipping them into shape, showing them the right way to live and the right way to think and pointing them in the right direction. And in the case of the law, that's the purpose of the law. For this young fledgling group of people, the Israelites, here is what I expect of you. Now, God recognized they would never fulfill that completely. He had in mind that Jesus was going to come. And that they would be saved by faith. But this pedagogos ultimately was pointing them towards Jesus. And Paul says, now that Jesus has come, you're no longer under the tutelage of this guardian. You're no longer needing to be instructed by it. Because you're saved by faith and now I'm going to give you a new guardian. I am going to give you a new instructor to walk with you, to be with you, to encourage you, to support you, to remind you of what I've taught you. And who is that guardian? A little more clearly? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to recognize there is a radical difference between this guardian and the Holy Spirit that God gives us when we say yes to Jesus Christ and say, I want to follow you. He entrusts us and fills us with the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus on the day of his baptism. 
Remember that? that? That picture when Jesus came up out of the water in the Jordan River. The, the Holy Spirit descended and rested on him and stayed with him throughout the remainder of his ministry. And God said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. It was that Holy Spirit that guided him into the wilderness. And then in, it, it gave, I'm already over time, doggone it. Turn that thing off. It was that Holy Spirit that reminded Jesus of who he was when Satan said, hey, if you really want, you know, if you really are the Son of God, then turn this bread into, or turn these stones into bread and prove it. If you really are the Son of God, then jump off this thing because the Scripture says the angels won't let you strike a heel. And Jesus says, yeah, but Scripture also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So get away from me, Satan. Don't even try this. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered him to do the miracles that he did, to drive out demons. It was the Holy Spirit that gave him the power to walk on water. And it was the Holy Spirit ultimately that raised him from the dead. And that same Spirit is given to us now, very briefly, I want to remind you of the difference. I want to just point out some of the differences between this old guardian and the guardian that Jesus gives to us when we say yes to him. Can we throw up uh, the first thing? Oh, my goodness. Did I actually give that fill-in so you guys already knew the answer because it was written down there? I removed gold stars from all of your ledgers. My goodness. <sighs> I should probably follow my own notes. It would be easier, wouldn't it? Okay, here's the law. This is the old guardian. The law is impersonal and it's discouraging because th- imagine going through life with this as, as your guardian and your friend. Oh, wonderful book of the law. What should I do in this situation? You know, I mean, this is impersonal and it's discouraging because holy moly is this thing heavy. Secondly, it condemns us. It's constantly pointing out our inability to complete this. And every time that we try to do good, every time we say, you know what, I'm going to get better at showing up to church at 10 a.m. I know it's like, I know it starts at 10, but I really want to get there at 10, 15 because it just feels better. It's not even football season yet, guys. Come on. Okay. Um, and, and every time we say, you know, I'm, I'm going to get my thought life under control. I'm, I'm going to be better about it. And I, I'm not going to give vent to my feelings as much and just kind of lash out at my kids when they don't live up to my expectations. Every time we try to do better, try to submit more and more to the law, it simply reminds us, you suck. And you have failed. The purpose of the law is to declare us guilty. Wonderfully encouraging, isn't that? In contrast, the Holy Spirit... Whereas the law is impersonal and discouraging, the Holy Spirit is extremely personal. You can't get more personal than in us. And it is unbelievably empowering. Because what we are incapable of doing, the Holy Spirit does in us. It encourages us and empowers us to actually begin living as God has called us to live. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We still have flesh. We still wrestle with that. We're still going to fall flat on our face. And when we do... Whereas the law condemns us and says, failure, the Holy Spirit, it certainly convicts us. And this is a huge difference. The Holy Spirit convicts, the law condemns. So does our enemy, which is interesting. So all of a sudden, the law is kind of doing the same thing that our enemy does. If you feel conviction, that's probably from the Holy Spirit. If you feel condemnation where you go, oh, I suck and I will never get better at this, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell or it's legalism, and either way, you need to just say no to that. 
Because the Holy Spirit reminds us the foundation of our relationship with God is not our obedience to the law. The foundation of our relationship to God, to God is grace. End of story. Our relationship begins in grace and is steeped in grace all the way through to the end. We cannot come to the Father apart from grace through faith, not by works, not by obedience to the law, so that not a single one of us can stand up and say, look what I have done. I have earned my standing with God. I have made myself righteous. No. He's made us righteous. So may we stop striving. May we stop trying and simply rest in God. One last thought before I wrap this up and we go over and have fried chicken. The best analogy I could think of this week of the difference between trying to to come to God through obedience to the law and resting in our relationship with God through the Spirit is, is... how I I came to know my wife before I met her when I was a young guy and I I knew I wanted to meet the right woman. So I began, because I'm a reader, I began to read books. I read books about how to stay pure as a single young man. I read books about the kind of uh, spouse that I should be looking for and how to woo a woman's heart like that. I read books about how to kiss dating goodbye, right? And then I met Kathy. Holy moly, this girl wants to talk to me. Amen to that. Right, I'm in. And so then I read books about his needs, her needs. I read books about how to maintain purity in dating and how to woo her heart and how to be a good spouse. And and yet, that is no substitute for the real living, breathing woman that God has entrusted to my heart. I could read books all day. And it would not actually change my marriage as much as sitting down and simply listening to my wife. Because here is a woman that doesn't just want me to understand generically about women. She wants me to understand her heart. And she doesn't want to just read books about me. She wants to know me. She wants to know what's on my mind. No book is a substitute for my wife. And in the same way, no law is a substitute to our living, breathing Such a personal God. Yes, he may be the transcendent creator of everything, but he wants to be intimately involved in our lives. He is not the God of the deists who suggest that God simply wound the earth up like a clockmaker and then watches it spin out of control. No, he is a God that gets intimately involved in our lives. So involved, in fact, that he gives us his Holy Spirit to reside within us. So the point that Paul is making in Galatians 3, the point that I want us to remember today is that Jesus Christ did not come and die for us so that he could invite us into a religion full of rules. Jesus Christ came and died so that he could invite us into a a relationship that begins with this invitation. Follow me. And it is an invitation that these three women today have accepted And they have publicly declared to you that they are in. And as a family, we just simply want to come around them and around each of us and say, we are called to do this together. And I want to remind us that we have a Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us and empowers us and protects us from the lies of the enemy that says we have failed. So let's just invite the Holy Spirit to be present here today. Father God, I am so grateful (laughs) that you make old things new. 
that you bring the dead back to life, that you make us new creations, that you, create, you take sinners and you make them saints. And I thank you that you've done that for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present in this place, that we would not look to the law and the rules and the thou shalt nots for the foundation of our relationship with you. And when we mess up, God, as we are inevitably will, would you remind us that it's, our call is not to go run away and clean it up before we're, we're worthy to come back into your presence, but rather to come to you and let you clean us up. So I thank you for loving us, and I thank you for giving us your spirit. Would you pour your spirit upon this family? Holy Spirit, would you go with us this week as we go across the street to enjoy a meal together? I pray you'd bless that food to our bodies. Protect the kids as they get into bounce houses. Protect us and just even guide our conversations, the people we sit with and and the discussions that we have. May they be edifying to you, uh, glorifying to you, and even edifying to one another. And I pray that you would go with us this week as we head out and get to go be the church beyond the walls of this building because we are the church. This building's not the church. May we go be the light that you have called us to be in your name and by your power. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.